Bible, open it up to uh, Genesis chapter 22. Just hold it there and don't worry too much about looking at anything more there. Just uh, hold it there. We're talking this month, uh, each of the four Sundays of Christmas. By the way, uh, the 24th Christmas Eve falls on a Sunday, so we will have a regular Sunday morning services and Sunday school and all that, but then we will also have a Christmas Eve service at 7 o'clock that night. 7 o'clock that night. You invite your friends and family and such and come join us that evening. But we're going to be looking at these different themes of Christmas throughout the uh, Christmas season. Last week, we looked at the subject of hope, and the gospel is hope in the person of Jesus. The gospel is hope in the person of Jesus. And so we talked about hope last week. We focused on that. This week, we're going to focus on love. We're going to focus on love. And uh, uh, as we focus on the subject of love, uh, the, the, the theme that we're going to look at is we're going to try to look at the love of God and that particular aspect of love that is found. And, and there's, just a whole, uh, uh, there's a, just a whole variety of passages that we could go to on that subject. James Hall uh, took us to a, a great passage this morning. He took us to 1 John chapter 4. And uh, uh, John often refers to himself as the one whom Jesus loved. And so uh, in John's uh, epistle here, he writes, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. And anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world that we might live through him. You expect the word love there, but it doesn't. It says the word live. We, he loves us so we can live through him. We're learning something about love right there. Love is a dynamic thing. It, it empowers us to, 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 to live a, a, a more full life. In this love, in this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he has loved us and he sent his son to be the propitiation isn't that a big word? Uh, that's the payment in our place. He is the payment in our place, the propitiation for our sins. And because of that, beloved, if God so loved us in this way, we also, also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. That little phrase, no one has ever seen God. That little phrase is repeated by John in his gospel. And there he says, no one has seen God, but the only begotten who is in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him. And the notion there from John's gospel, chapter 1, is that no one has ever seen this God who loves us. And so he sent Jesus so that we could see what love looked like. But we don't have Jesus in the world any longer. And so now, no one has seen God, but Jesus has demonstrated to us who know him what God's love is like. And so now the world learns love by, by seeing it in us. When, when we uh, love one another, the world sees his love in us. 
Well, this love theme is not just, an old, not just New Testament theme. It's a, it's, a, it's a Bible theme. It goes throughout the scriptures. And you, you can go all the way back to uh, Deuteronomy. Uh, and you could go back to uh, Genesis. But we'll, we'll go back to Deuteronomy. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. That's a, that's a great statement of the, the Old Testament about who God is. He's one. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. They're all together one. And you shall love the Lord thy God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And, and this is so important. You shall teach this to your children diligently. You shall talk to them when you sit down in your house, when you walk along the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. This, it's, this is critical that, that this whole notion of, of this God who is one that loves us, that, that we teach it. In fact, uh, uh, in the book of Deuteronomy, just a chapter later, we're told this. We're told in, in Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 7 and 8, it says uh, this, it says, not because you were more in number than any other people. That's not the reason why God set his love on you to choose you. It's not because we're better. Or, or, but, but why did God love us? You were the fewest of all people. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers. He loved Abraham, and so he loved you. Now, this is an academic study on love. How many of you are bored out of your minds right now? Close to it. (laughs) Lynn is the only honest person in the place. We could just sit here and read over these verses all day long and, 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 and open our Bibles and we could flip over to here and then we could flip over to there and then we could flip over to here and we flip over. We just keep reading these verses all along. You know how we learn love? This is how we learn love. We learn love by seeing it in other people. I got to tell you a story real quick. I talked to a couple that's going to get married. They're in their 40s. They've been married before and now they're getting married again and, and, uh, and, and, and they're, they're going to get married they're in, they're in their 40s and such and, and I went over and I met with them and, and, and they were describing to me how they, how they met and how they fell in love and, uh, and, and how they came to, to love each other and, and, and we were planning their wedding they're going to have their children stand up with them as their uh, groomsmen and as their bridesmaids and then that's, that's, what that's what the scene's going to be. It's going to be all their children. There's only one person that isn't uh, their, one of their children that's going to be standing up. There's, a, there's, an, there's an 85-year-old guy that's going to stand up with them. He's going to be the best man. It's my dad. He, he has a part-time job with this guy. And over the last 10 years, as he's got to know him, he, he's shared with him his faith. And as he's shared with him his faith, this, this person has come to, to love my father and he's come to desire to have the same kind of walk with God. And so he's going to marry this girl and he wants my dad to be the best man. Uh, I told him, I said, you know, there's no honorarium on this. Just seeing my dad standing up with someone is going to be hilarious. And so <laughs> I'm, I'm looking forward to it, and, uh, and, and it's going to be a fun day. That's how we learn love, isn't it? We learn love through stories like that. We learn love through, through moments where we see other people and we see that they're in love. And, and, and my kids are always telling me all the time, I'll come to the kitchen and I'll, and I'll, and I'll, and I'll grab my wife and give her a squeeze and go, oh, dad. 
They say they don't like it, but they actually love it. They, they're, they're motivated out of seeing their parents in love. Yeah, it's kind of gross. Yeah, it's kind of gross. But it gives them a certain security as well. We learn love that way. We learn, we learn love by, by seeing people in love and seeing how they respond to each other, seeing how they react to each other, and, and, and seeing that, 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 that fervor that's between them, the, the secret whispers that they have, the, the, the gentle way they, they perhaps hold hands under the table or, or touch each other's feet while they're eating a meal. We learn love in that way. And so though we could do an academic study the rest of the day about all of these verses, what we're going to do instead, though, we're going to see the reflection of God's love through relationship. We're going to look at the reflection of God's love through relationship. God is going to show us love. Now, I'm going to take you to a very hard place. I'm going to take you to Genesis chapter 22 to see that reflection of of love. And so as you're open now to that spot, you'll know that this is a this is a, a a very very powerful passage. This is the passage where God tells Abraham, "Take Isaac and offer him as a sacrifice." And we look at this chapter and we say, "This is a chapter on faith. This is a chapter on Abraham believing God and stepping out in faith." But I want you to see how God starts this story. God starts this story by coming to Abraham and saying, Take your son whom you love. I've waited all my life for this boy. I named him Laughter. And and in my old age, God has blessed me with this son, Isaac. And Isaac is now a a youth of of something between probably 12 and 20. All that potential, all that promise, all that hope, and all that love. Sarah and I look at him and and we, and we, we are warmed within ourselves when we see him. And God comes now to Abraham and he says, Take that son whom you love. See, uh, God wants to identify in Abraham the very trait that he wants us to see in him. He wants to identify in this story this, this trait that, that God has, that Abraham has toward Isaac, this, this compelling relationship that, that these two have, this love. Abraham, this boy that you love, take him to Mount Moriah. Take him to offer him as a sacrifice. Take him and give him back to me. I mean, this is absurdity. In that culture, back in that day and age, there were children's sacrifices. 
And, and, and what is God doing backing Abraham away from the, uh, the, the, the life of faith that he's called him to, backing him to the, the pagan cultural distinctives of that day of childhood sacrifices? How can you ask this, God? To be very clear, there should be a whole... Uh, Notebook of information following verses 2 and 1 and 2, where, where God says, This is what I'm really doing here, but there's nothing. All that we see is at the end of verse 2, verse 3 begins, So Abraham rose early. You ever, you ever tell yourself, I better do this quick before I talk myself out of it? <laughs> you, you, ever, you ever have one of those kind of moments where you think, you know, I, I need to do this quick before I talk myself out of it? Uh, Butch uh, McAlexander was down at the mattress store the other day, and he laid down on the mattress store, and he had a comfortable uh, time trying to pick out the mattress that he wanted, and he got up, and he uh, went home, and halfway home, he reached for his billfold, and he realized it was gone. And uh, Sandy said, well, maybe you, you lost it there uh, uh, on the mattress when you laid down. And so he went back to the store, and he went up to the counter, and, and they, they told him, they said, there's a note here for you. And uh, there was a phone number, and he, and he called the phone number, and the guy says, yeah, I've got your billfold. I want to make sure I gave it back to the right guy. Uh, come and get it. Uh, and so the guy, the guy met Butch, and he gave him back his billfold, and everything was there. And Butch goes, man, aren't you glad there's honest people? I find Butch's billfold. I'm going to look and see how many $100 bills there are in there. I don't know about you, but I often have to tell myself, do the right thing quick before you talk yourself out of it. He saddled his donkey. Look at all the verbs. He rose early. He saddled his donkey. He took his son and the wood and the burnt offering. And he went to the place which God had told him. There was a garden called the Garden of Gethsemane. And in that garden, Jesus wept. And he sweat, as it were, tears of blood. And he prayed to his Father, not my will, not my will, but thine. See, the place to where God is asking uh, Abraham to take his son, the place here should not be lost on our consciousness. If you uh, find a map, the uh, ancient Mount Moriah is located at the, at the place where the modern city of Jerusalem is. In other words, the mount that Jesus is going to be die on is, is very near into the Mount Moriah where Isaac is going to be offered. And so, so God, this isn't to be lost on our mindset. This isn't to be lost in our understanding of this story. Uh, God has a plan for this place. 
God has a plan for this spot. And, and on this spot where God calls Abraham to offer his son, where, where God calls Abraham to give up the thing that he loves. God has a plan for that place. So they move out early in the morning. I always think it's interesting there. There's no conversation with Sarah. (laughs) They move out early in the morning. And on the third day, verse 4, strange three days, third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and he saw the place from afar. And Abraham said to his young men, I and the boy will go there and worship. We've worshipped today. We sing some peppy little songs. We sing some slower songs. We've put money in an offering. We've responded to music that was presented to us with applause. We think of all these elements as being worship. But really the notion to worship is, is, is really embodied in those things, but it actually is something that happens deep in the heart of us, where, where we ascribe to something worth. We're going to go there, Abraham is saying, and, and we are going to go there and we are going to find something of worth. Done anything of worth this week? Got outside my car and there were two pennies on the ground. Picked them up. One was heads, one was tails. I don't know if that's good luck or bad luck or any kind of luck. But I picked them both up. Put them in my pocket. And I've been carried them the rest of the week in the pocket along with the coin. I found the coin in my mother-in-law's things and I, and I stuck it in my pocket. I, I didn't know why she had this coin. It was a coin from England, of all things. It was a 50 pence piece. And I actually went onto YouTube and Google and researched it and found out it was worth 65 cents. I was hoping it was worth a quarter of a million. But nevertheless, it was worth 65 cents and I've been carrying it in my pocket. And, and I'm, I'm carrying it because I thought to myself, it, it, it must have had value to my mother-in-law and so I'm carrying it to re- remind me of her and to, so that I can contemplate and think about her and my grief as I process through it. I showed it to my son. I said, look at this that I found. And he goes, I gave that to Grandma. I said, you gave that to Grandma? He said, yeah, I went over to England. And I would show people pictures of Grandma, and they'd say, she looks like the Queen of England. (laughs) So I found a coin with the Queen of England's face on it, and I brought it back to give to Grandma so she'd know what she looked like. (laughs) Ben said she didn't like the coin. (laughs) I like the coin. It's worth more than 65 cents to me because of what I because of what I see in it because of what I feel in it because of what it means 
Abraham said, I and the boy will go there and worship. On the same hilltop, someone else will say someday, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And in Isaiah 53, we're given the answer. In Isaiah 53, we're told that God in heaven, that he shall look down upon the travail of his soul and be satisfied. God will look upon Christ dying in anguish, dying in suffering, pain, in the darkness of that day where the lights went dark because they were hidden. And God will look at the offering of Christ and ascribe worth to it. What will be the worth that God ascribes to that life that is dying there on that hillside? Well, in Revelation chapter 4 and 5, we find that the title deed of the universe is released to the one who is the lamb slain from the foundations of the earth. God will say, the worth of that life is everything. He shall look at the travail of his soul and be satisfied. God worshipped at Calvary the payment of all things through His Son. I and the boy will go there and worship. And so uh, Isaac and Abraham begin up the mountain together and as they go up the mountain, there's this interesting little statement found uh, as, they, as, they, as they prepare to make this little trip to go up the mountain. And it, and it says that, uh, that, that Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and he, and he laid it on Isaac, his son, and he took the, the fire in his hand and a knife. Now, if you, you read this text, you realize that the text is describing who's carrying what. It tells us that that Isaac is carrying the wood and he is carrying all that that is going to be used to make the sacrifice and and Abraham is carrying the instruments that will, will begin the sacrifice. The knife and the fire are in the hands of the Father. It is God's role in the glories of glories to impute upon his son all of our wickedness and to, and to make a judgment of placing onto him all things. The father's role in the death of Christ is very clear. He is the one with the knife. He is the one with the fire. What does God carry in this offering of Christ? He carries the judgment. 
Christ makes the payment. The boy says, Father, we have the wood, we have the fire, we have the knife, but, but, but where is the lamb? And Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And then the text adds this little descriptive statement. So they went, both of them, together. If you look in the previous verse that we read, it said in that same verse uh, that, that Abraham put the wood on Isaac and, and he put the, the fire in his hand and the knife and it says, and the both of them went together. And now they come up here and they come to the edge of the, the place where the offering's going to be. And it, the text makes it clear again. And they went, both of them, together. Together in the sacrifice. Together in their faith. They stand there. I really don't think Abraham overpowered Isaac to bind him and put him on that altar. I honestly believe that Isaac willingly allowed his father to do that. And at the moment with the knife in the air, Rembrandt catches it in this picture. An angel stops Abraham. We cannot be absolutely sure of this, but oftentimes in the Old Testament, the angel of the Lord is a pre-incarnate appearance of Christ. And, and there is, a, I think, a very strong possibility that a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus took a hold of Abraham's hand and said, don't do it. Don't do it. And in the thicket, there's a ram that is offered. See, we learn love. We learn love through reflections. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. There are two sons that die on Moriah, this mountain. One dies in faith by the name of Isaac. One dies in person and substance by the name of Jesus. Here in his love, not that we loved God, 
but that he loved us. He sent his son to be the payment, the propitiation. It's a big word, isn't it? Can you say it with me? Propitiation. You know, we hear that word and we just think that's a big theological word. And it is a big theological word. But it's not a meaningless word. It's, it's, it's a statement of God's love for his son was so great. His love with his son was so great that the only thing that could be offered that could pay for sin would be the thing that God loved so much. That it could be the one and only thing that could remove the stain of sin from us. And so when God looks at you, he sees his son's blood on you. He sees Jesus. The gospel is love in the person of Jesus. Father, we thank you. We could academically study love all day and look at all of the different nuances of the word and all of the different uh, places in which it's used and all of the different factors of motivation that are wrapped up in it. But the reality is the, the clearest understanding we have for love is when we see it reflected in the lives of other people. We learn love by seeing it and experiencing it and knowing it. And we know that we are loved by you because you put your son in our place. The one you loved with all your heart was the one you paid the judgment of God in knife and fire on our behalf. And so you love us so deeply. You love us so profoundly. You love us so completely that when you see us, you see us as the very essence of what you saw in your son. And his righteousness is imputed upon us just as our sins were imputed upon him. And we feel loved, God. We feel loved by you. Amen.